2: This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee and it ships out within hours of roasting. This guarantees that when you order, you get the freshest coffee possible available. The kicker we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 118. Today, John and I talk turkey and a little hunting culture, so stay tuned all right all right what is going on folks happy wednesday to you hope everyone's feeling good out there it's wednesday it's hump day it's almost over everybody's working for the weekend i think i quoted that last last podcast but i'm still on my holland oats kick so i'm going to continue to quote that until i'm over my holland oats kick hopefully it'll it'll run its course by the end of this this week i think there might be some antibiotics for that or something Uh, i got a cool show for you today i'm not going to belabor this up front it's a bit a little while since john and i had a chance to catch up he uh You know, last he and I really had a chance to talk. I was actually in Iowa with him, if if you all recall, doing a little shed hunting and hanging out with him, doing some scouting, getting ready for this uh, this upcoming um, this upcoming fall. Which actually reminds me, at this upcoming weekend, I need to. I need to go ahead and put in for my tags for Iowa. So I need to set a uh, a calendar reminder for that because I'm super excited to do that. But the last time John and I really had a chance to talk was when I was out there visiting him and we went to the Iowa Deer Classic and so forth. And pretty much since then, John has been on the road in various states hunting turkeys, doing some photo work, video work for, you know, turkey hunting and so forth. So we've not really had a chance to catch up. So I thought it'd be a good time to just kind of do that now, see what he's been up to, talk about our plans for turkey season um as turkey season here has kicked off in pa and my so we actually recorded this last week um, while he was actually in town and had some some availability um but since then turkey season has opened here in pennsylvania and i had a disastrous opening day which was essentially i had a place picked out that i think i had mentioned maybe even a podcast or two ago that i had a piece that i had was looking forward to trying to hunt and uh got there nice and bright and early wanted to get in you know early and uh see if i could uh Get a few birds to uh to, to gobble before they flew down and uh and when I got to my spot, there were already five trucks parked in the parking area. And this piece of property is not very big that I found. I thought I found a little out of the way piece. I think it's a little out of the way piece for um for deer season or for archery season specifically. Um, but apparently not so much for turkey. So my, my turkey season was off to not such a such a great start. But I am going to take, I think, a morning or two here during the course of the week. That's the one cool thing about the new one of the cool many cool things about the new gig that I have is that uh, <clears throat> it's close to home and it's actually close to a lot of the places that I hunt. So I'll actually be able to go hit the hit the turkey woods in the morning before work and then just cruise cruise right into work and uh, and 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 be all good. So I'm pretty stoked for that. But uh, before we jump into this podcast, I do want to make mention of one particular thing. I know. A lot of you folks out there are probably members of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, as am I, and uh, they have a really cool thing going on. If you so, you know, around this time, uh, I don't know exactly when the dates are, but you know, during the spring, early summer, they always do their rendezvous out, out west somewhere. And uh, this year, they're actually doing uh, what they're what, what is called uh, muster in the mountains, and, and really BHA is putting on um, their largest gathering on the East Coast to date. Uh, which is uh, which is super cool, and they've got a, they've got some folks coming out. I think uh, Lantani is actually going to be there potentially. Um, at least that's what I've heard. I know that they're kind of rounding out what the the list will look like for folks who will be there and and, and kind of do speaking events and so forth. But this event is being held on a private farm. It's a it's a guy who's a lifetime member um, in uh, in Morris, Pennsylvania. So and the dates are June twenty second and twenty third. It's a family friendly event. So I'm I'm definitely going. Uh, My wife will be there with me. I'm going to bring my daughter along with me. And uh, they just have a lot of cool stuff going on. So it's a family atmosphere. It's kind of a, a nice weekend away. Uh, for some camaraderie and and uh, you know and, and getting to chat with some and spend some time with some like minded folks um, and and you know and at times talk about things that are all very important to us. So some of the things they will have going on there, there's going to be a bonfire. Of course, there wouldn't be any outdoor excursion worth its salt if there was not a bonfire. So there will uh, uh, certainly be one of those. There'll be some archery and some uh, fly and, and, and spin casting competitions. I think there's an archery competition that's happening as well. They'll do a little bit of like a storytelling thing turkey calling competition there's going to be some live music so if you like to cut a rug or get your rock on you can certainly do that there there'll be a wild game cook-off which is pretty cool i always look forward to those things uh there'll be a a multiple pig roast so not a single pig but multi-pigs um there'll be backcountry olympics so there'll be a little bit of you know physical competition there as well some raffle raffles and prizes it's a camping event as well there'll be of course be beer, uh, fireworks, and just a bunch of other stuff going on here during the course of this weekend. So I highly encourage any of you out there who are looking for something to do over the course of the, uh, the June 22nd and 23rd that weekend, to head out there. So does all this, you know, kind of, you know, tickle your fancy, so to speak. I know I've been pretty excited about doing it. And if you want to get involved, all you have to do is head over to their RSVP page and go ahead and let the folks there know that you're going so they can kind of get a head count as to how many folks are going to be showing up. And how might you do that? Well one you can head to the uh, blog post show notes for this podcast, and I'll have a link there for you that you can head to uh, head to the page to RSVP. Or you can go to backcountryhunter.org backslash muster underscore in underscore the underscore mountains. I know that was super easy, right? So I'll give it to you one more time. That's backcountryhunter.org backslash muster underscore in underscore the. Underscore Mountains, and uh, you head there, and they'll have all the details of the of the weekend and what time you can check in and so forth. You don't have to just exclusively camp as as well. I'm going to be probably camping there in some capacity, but there are some bed and breakfasts and some um, and some uh, and some hotel rooms that are that are nearby. One of the most important things to mention is this whole event is free so if you choose to camp on the property that is free there's no you know admission fee to get in to enjoy the games the the food you know the the bands or anything so there's really no reason for you to not to show up so i hope to see you all there all right folks welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast and today i got my brother from another mother the 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 co-host on this hell ride mr johnny by god utah mulligan what's going on dude
0: hey what's happening man how you been
2: been all right man we we haven't talked in a minute we'll get into all your excursions here in a minute man but you've been uh you've been a busy fellow lately
0: yeah, extremely um it's like robbing peter to pay paul sometimes but nonetheless i've been busy i've been i've been moving what is it uh motion creates emotion so i've been doing a lot of that
2: nice nice but i, I don't think no we've talked like a handful of times just I think maybe even just once since I left Iowa, since I came out to see mm-hmm. you, you know, that's how mm-hmm. bu- how busy you've been. But like, I think, uh, I think I left you with a little gift though, before I left Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you brought the, uh, Pennsylvania bubonic plague, infected the whole house. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty bad. Everybody was coughing and hacking and, um, I didn't, I probably didn't have it as bad. I mean, it was just, it was like a, just a really, really bad cold. Yeah. Um, there was one day that I, I was chilling, like I had the fever, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have a fever. Um, so I don't know what the heck that was, but whatever it, uh, it didn't last too long, you know, four or five days and it was gone. Four or five days and it was gone. Yeah. Well, the, Just four I mean, or five days I didn't sleep or hold yeah. down any chow or anything like that. But it's <laughs> all good. Yeah. So it was,
2: so I don't remember if we even talked about this on like the other, on the session we did at your place. But so when I got to John's, you know, you and, and your wife were all concerned or I should say you, you didn't give a shit to be honest. Your wife was all concerned that I was coming over and um you had a had a sick kiddo at the house or
0: whatever. And
2: so I get there yep, and she's yeah, like Yeah we had one like, with
0: the flu that had yeah. just gotten over it or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so your wife asks you like hey did you tell Clint that you know we have a sick kiddo at the house so he maybe he doesn't want to come <laughs> this week or whatever and you're like hell, hell no I didn't tell him and I'm like that's awesome. <laughs> And, uh, which wasn't a big deal. You know I mean? It's like, you know, I'm a, i I've got a kid too. You know, it's like my wife works in a school district and stuff like that. So it's like, I'm around all kinds of germs all the time. So it's, you know, if I'm, if anyone could, you know, fend it off, I probably could. So, you know, I'm there the whole time thinking like, man, I'm probably going to get sick when I get home, you know, it's at some point or whatever. And little did I know that I was bringing the creeping ninja with me because dude, it's literally, <laughs> I was on the plane back home and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, I feel like garbage. Cause my daughter was sick, like the entire week leading up to me coming out to see you. And it was just like uh-huh. headache, tired, no, no fever whatsoever, but just like completely put her down for a week, but no like real symptoms other than just feeling like garbage. And I basically had that when I got back and I, and I hadn't talked to you at all for like a couple of weeks cause you were, you were doing some traveling and we'll get into that. You were doing some early season, you know, down South Turkey hunting style. And I knew you were getting back because I saw your Instagram feed. And I was like, "Ah, I'm going to give John a call and see what's up. I give you a call and like the first thing's out of your mouth. Like, I think we said hello. And you were like, dude, I don't know what the hell you brought from Pennsylvania. (laughs) And that was the first (laughs) part of the conversation. (laughs) So my apologies. It was bad. uh, Yeah, it it wasn't. I mean, you
0: know, and it's funny because when... When our when our youngest was little, um, we joked and we said we've literally had a cold for five years.
2: Yeah, because no it was like
0: every germ from like daycare and kindergarten and first grade, you know, like everything that they were exposed to, they brought home. Uh, so there was like a five or six year period where I swear I had like walking pneumonia, um, <laughs> you know, every day of my life. Yeah, and then finally. You know, you build up an immune system and whatnot, plus being a cop, I don't know what I was exposed to half the time, but I had like ironclad immunity. So now it's been three years since I've been a cop and all my kids are, you know, my youngest is 10. So we're not getting the creeping crud brought home all the time. So now whenever we do get exposed to it, we're like, "Uh, update the wheel. I'm dying. I'm checking out.
2: (laughs) It's like I got the way I got the the ban. I don't know if I ever told you the story about lamb did I? Uh, uh-uh, I don't uh, think so. Okay, so my brother-in-law, you know, when he was in high school, there was this kid that he was that was in his class, and it was, you know, he was a good kid, he was one of his best friends, but, like, he wasn't the brightest bulb on the, on the tree, shall we say. And they were having this spelling thing, and this was high school, so it was more of, like, an end-of-the-year fun thing, like, the teacher didn't have anything to do, so it's like, we're just going to throw words out, and, like, someone go up on the board and spell them or whatever, and we'll see, you know, who can who has the most points whatever killing time essentially right is their senior year or something like that and so they're up there and this kid goes up there you know like my brother-in-law goes up there and he writes his word or whatever and it's like you know he he gets it right and whatever and then his friend goes up to write it and they say you know pneumonia right to write it <laughs> he spelled pneumonia w w a m b a n y a wambanya that's how nice <laughs> That's how he spells pneumonia or how he thought pneumonia was spelled. So anytime I talk about getting sick, if it's really bad, I just refer to it as the wambania. Because that's like the worst yeah. form of the worst form of sick. But that's funny, man. But we both made it through the other side. We're both feeling feeling better. And uh we are on to well, you're on to turkey season, man. So dude, you've been kind of all over the place already for turkey season. So let's start. I think if I'm not mistaken, you were in Florida chasing turkeys?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so, um, hold
2: on, let me ask this. For, have you ever hunted Florida before? No,
0: no, no I okay. haven't. Okay. Right. Um, my parents have a place in Florida, and I haven't, well, I've been there once in the past five years. Right. Florida's not a big thing for me. I'm not a big sand ocean, like, that's just not, you know, that's just not my yeah. thing. But nonetheless, there was a turkeys turkeys in florida and that's pretty awesome so yeah and those things are pretty you know they got some cool colors but mm-hmm. um and I, you know we talked about it in uh uh the other podcast and that was the other thing too like after you left my place uh i had just been basically laid off yeah um you know right before that so um while you were here i was like Damn, I really need to be probably working or finding work, you know? And right. here I am walking around the woods with, with Clint you know, for three days. But, <laughs> I know, right. Um, so, as soon as you left, I was like, man, I've got to, I got to, I got to buckle down here, you know? But um, nonetheless, I've been real good friends over the years with the owner, Tevis McCauley of Whitetail Heaven Outfitters. And their, their home base is down he's in the Kentucky. He's a good dude, which...
2: man. You introduced me to him when we were at uh, ATA. He's hilarious, dude. Man. That guy's a riot. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: Yeah, no, he's just I mean, he is high speed all the time. Um, So their main lodge is is in the hometown where I grew up. Um, He's he's younger than I am, but that's kind of how we met through mutual friends and stuff. But anyways, um, he had, you know, word travels fast and he had heard through the grapevine that I was doing this freelance thing now. And so he called and was like, hey. Uh, I need you I need you to be in Florida. And I'm like, Yeah, when's that? And he's like, Tomorrow. I'm like, What? <laughs> nice. He's like, Yeah, I need you in Florida tomorrow. Here's four airports that you can fly into and, and we'll we'll drop you off. Just pick one. And uh, so anyways, he calls back and he's like, Here's my credit card information, just just get you know, get your ass down there. here. So yeah. I was like, What am I doing? And he's like, Photo. I need you I need you for like four or five days doing photo video. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's rock and roll. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm still coming. I was like, um, you know, my birthday's coming up. And uh, I don't think that there's ever been a time in the last four years that my wife and I have actually spent our birthdays together. All right. Just one reason or another, something comes up. Like I was out in Montana or whatever, you know. But Right. Uh, so anyways, we uh, he's like, well, I'll tell you what, bring your bow. I'm like, do what? He's like, well, yeah, since it's your birthday, that's your birthday present. Bring your bow. Nice. And he's like, I don't care if, like, you take a day and go chase some birds or whatever. I'm like, heck, yeah, this is awesome, right? So um, anyways, I go down there, and uh, weather's great. Their guys are laying birds down left and right, so I'm just bouncing around, photo, 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 you know what I mean? Right. And shooting video. And then finally, like, the last day, I'm like, hey, Tevis, if you don't mind, I'm going to take my bow this time and today and I'm still gonna do photo video work, but I'm gonna take my bow with me and see if I can get one. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, it's the last you know, it's your your last day, you better. And of course, you know, twenty five mile, thirty mile an hour winds, it's cloudy and it dropped to <laughs> about forty five degrees. Jeez. Um and it had been like I was getting burnt every day putting on sunscreen. Right. Uh, so the birds were uh, less than active and less uh, less vocal than they had been before, uh, so I, I didn't even I didn't even see a tom at all, okay. um, but didn't hear one, didn't see one, saw a couple of hens, but so I did that. Uh, then I, I made my made my way back um, back to Iowa, and I had a trip uh, had a trip to Bozeman. Uh, went out to Montana and uh, hung out and uh, worked on some stuff with uh, with Mystery Ranch. And can't really disclose all the details of that just yet, but uh, it's uh, pretty pretty awesome. It's pretty right. And, uh, yeah. 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 So it's pretty awesome. Had a good time out there with those guys and um, came home. And lo and behold, we're in the process of listing our house with Whitetail Properties. Uh, good friend of mine, and and a PA boy, yep. uh, Ben Harshen. He he's he's, he's a now. veteran
2: of the he's a veteran of the show.
0: He's a veteran of the show. Yeah, um, Ben. Ben is my listing agent. You know, he still owns Huntera, but he's also an agent uh, with Whitetail Properties. So he's going to list um, my property here, my house, and uh, we have a basement that's it was partially finished. We've been working on it the whole time we've been here. And we kind of buckled down and said, okay, we got to get this thing done. We got to get it done now. So I was slapping up drywall, had to, I had to build four walls in the new room, slap up some drywall. Heck it was starting to run out of time. I ended up contracting out somebody to come and do the mud finish and texturing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So he knocked it out in two days and it would have taken me two months. Yeah. Um, what'd I do after that? Well, before we oh, before we uh, before up. we
2: go there, what what part yeah. of, what part of Florida were you in?
0: Uh, it's outside of Orlando. Okay, was it like Claremont yeah, outside or of Orlando? Apopka. I mean, we're talking like BFE, Florida. I didn't even know that existed.
2: Oh yeah, man. I mean, there's. I mean, I lived. Well, I mean, I lived in Orlando proper for however many years. I was there nine years or something like that. But there's some there's some pretty BFE areas out there, I man. You get out around like like Claremont. I think is like one area that's pretty. Pretty out there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there is a popka, which is pretty you know, there, the apopka forest out there is huge. Um, and I'm trying to think there's another area that I used to go. There was this campsite that I used to go to, usually on my birthday, because like down there, man, it's like you don't want to be outside camping and doing anything like that basically after mid-April. And so, like, my birthday was usually like the cut off mm-hmm. if I was gonna go camp or do anything outside and be relatively comfortable. And there was this fish camp and I can't remember the name of the lake or the part of like, you know, it's not even suburban Orlando. It's just like the country outside of Orlando that it's in. But like this, it's a well-known bass lake that does like national bass fishing tournaments. And we would go there and, you know, just camp for like a long weekend and drink beers and, you know, just hang out. But yeah, I mean, for people that have never been there, it's like they think of Orlando or they think of Florida or, you know, they think of Miami and Orlando and maybe Tampa, you know, but there are some pretty rural areas out there. Like you get into some pretty gnarly, gnarly places. I've never hunted in, uh, Florida. You know, it's uh what was your kind of impression of 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 you know hunting the, the Florida kind of scene?
0: Um so the birds aren't they're not like Easterns. I mean they don't they don't gobble as loud hmm. or as often, it seems like. Um <laughs> the first day we were we were out there. I jumped into a ground blind because uh, you know I've got the camera equipment, and whatnot. And I didn't want to mess up anybody's hunt, so I just jumped into ground blind with somebody and and I, and I'm filming uh, these birds come across the field, and they were like, "Oh, look, there's a hen," and I said, "What? That's a that's a crow," <laughs> and I'm like, "Actually, I don't even know if that's like a crow. That's just like a little blackbird. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was a hen. I mean, they're just that small, you know." Right. Um, so that was kind of funny, but um, yeah, they they don't they don't have that thundering gobble. Hmm. Um, it almost sounds like half the volume of a Jake. It was they were shorter gobbles, and hmm. I don't know. It was just it was different. But man, they're they're just they're awesome birds. Their colors are just crazy. Yeah, man, I mean the like... orange and the red and and the blues are just insane.
2: Yeah, I was looking at some of the the pictures you were laying out on on Instagram, and it's just yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It looks starkly different than I see in Pennsylvania,
0: you know. Sure, but, sure. But Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the birds that the guys were killing, they were, you know, 18 pounds, 19 pounds, you know, stuff like that. Right. And, you know, you put that next to, you know, one of these big Iowa 30-pound jokers, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like what the heck?
2: Like the one Billy C killed the the other day, like twenty six pounder. That was a pretty big, pretty big bird.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a big bird.
2: Yep, yeah, yeah. But all right, so you you managed you were went to. We're doing tracking John here is what we're doing. We're tracking John in Utah. <laughs> I need a like GPS tracker? Yeah, I need to put a GPS um, on you. So we were in yeah. Bozeman with Mystery Ranch, and then we uh-huh. got we got we got the house listed. With Ben, yeah, and home then, improvement
0: projects. Yep, and then where? Uh, then I, um, uh, I had a gas line company, company called Midwest Easement Services. They're actually getting ready to change their name because they. When they first started their business, they did a lot of easement services. Now they're they're not doing as much easement work. Uh, they're still doing a lot of power line clearing and stuff, but they're doing a lot of welding and, and a lot of steel pipe, gas line stuff. So, um, anyways, they 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 called and they they're like, look, you know, we need some new pictures for our website, social media, and we need some video and some drone work done. Uh, we want to have just you know like just a badass like video. You know what I mean? Right. Like we want to have something over the top that just shows. All the all of our uh, machines, equipment, and the stuff that we can do, you know, flex flex the muscle video. Right. So, I uh, went hooked up with those guys down in Missouri and Illinois for a few days. Did that. Um, came home, uh, then turned right around and and I went down to. Uh, um, was it Kentucky went down to Whitetail Heaven to their central Kentucky Lodge they were hosting a turkey competition this is it was turkey competition one of two um, two-man teams you know in Kentucky you can you can take two birds in the spring
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, I think they had 75 teams enter if I'm not mistaken 75 78 something like that might have even been more might have been like closer to 80 but Nonetheless, between three uh, three properties, their northern northern Kentucky property, uh, western property and their central Kentucky. And um, I don't remember the exact number of teams, but they have more properties than they had teams. So the way that they did it was uh, the teams showed up. uh, They drew for numbers. And all of the properties are laid out on a piece of paper in, uh, kind of a blind draw in like a white envelope. Mm -hmm. So you have no idea what property you're drawing and you, you, you draw. And at the end of each day, you can also, you can redraw, you can put in for a redraw and that kind of stuff. Some people can trade properties if, if need be or something, but, uh, Nonetheless, they do the, they do very, very strict rules. They have when, it, when, a, when a bird is shot, you know, you take a picture of the bird and send it in, um, to one of the, you know, officials with white heaven, you bring the bird back and then they have a, a score with a witness. And then they also have a second person score, um, You know, they do the standard weight beard length spurs and they do the standard NWTF calculation. Mm -hmm. And that's how you come up with your total score, you know, per per bird. And they post everything up on a big dry erase board and um, through FaceTime and everything, you know, everybody's able to see all the boards, you know, at all times and see where they're at. But uh, when it was all said and done after two and a half days of the competition, there was a team from southern Indiana. They went home with thirty five thousand dollars cash.
2: Yeah, I saw that man. That's crazy. It's a. I mean, I would never have a snowball's chance in hell to win, considering I never killed birds. But I I could imagine what it would be like to win thirty five thousand dollars for hunting.
0: (laughs) It's awesome. It's super cool. Well, and then second place was twenty grand. Third place was ten grand. And yeah, um, I mean there was. You know, six guys went home extremely happy, and and I talked to guys that finished like fourth and fifth and ninth and thirtieth, and I'm like, so you know, what'd you think? And I and I I recorded testimonials from these people, and I said, so what you know, what's up? And they said, look, this is the most fair hunting competition I've ever been involved in. Um, I had a, had a blast. You know, yeah. I've already signed up. I've already prepaid for next year's competition as well.
2: Right. That's cool, man. So
0: it was cool. You know, like I said, there wasn't any sore losers. And, um, even though these guys were competing for money every night at the lodges, everybody sat there at at the same dinner table and broke bread together and had a few drinks together and cut up and laughed. And people were here, take this call with you tomorrow. Try this one out. It worked pretty good for me. And, you know, just, it was, it was pretty neat. It was pretty cool deal. And, um, some it cool. was uh, it, it was neat to neat to be involved in it as you know not a hunter just somebody from the outside in you know taking photos of the whole project
2: right some cool camaraderie you know that's cool yeah my dad's yeah. done something like that with whitetails at one point he went to a place in Missouri and I don't remember where it was uh-huh. where it was something similar where I think it was like the top and they did it throughout the entire season you know because it was like it was it was an outfitter and they would kind of you would. You know, Take whatever animal you were going to take, whatever you know buck you were going to take. And then they would bring it in, they would score it, and they would kind of keep track of it and stuff like that. And they would keep track of like the entire – it was either the entire season or for like two weeks or something like that. Oh, two weeks for some reason sticks in my head. And after those two weeks, they basically figured out who the top 20 was. And like the top 20 was in the money or a free hunt because you hit a certain point where it's like they weren't paying out anymore. But if you were in the top 20, you were guaranteed like a hunt the following year if you wanted one. You know, so which was cool, and he had a great time doing it. You know, it's uh, I, I want to say he went out there with uh, my one uncle, he those two went out, and uh, the old man was one spot away from you know getting a free hunt the following year, but got a nice deer nonetheless, and he had a great time. And that was what he was just kind of saying, it was like just a bunch of dudes that were there to hunt, had a good time cutting up, you know, hanging out in camp and stuff like that. There was no like competitiveness that you would think of, like in sports or something like that. He said everyone was pretty cool, everyone was there to hunt, regardless whether or not there was money involved or not it's just if they were going to get a free hunt or something out of it you know for hunting it was just like that was a you know cherry on top or icing on the cake i guess so to speak but uh so after Kentucky you just recently got back from Kentucky right
0: I did yeah um and so you finally I left there yesterday morning which was man it was it was cool because i i wrapped up there monday evening And I went to my mom and dad's house. Um, My parents actually live like 15 minutes away from their lodge. Um, So I went to my mom and dad's, hung out with them a little bit Monday night and then um, got up Tuesday morning. And it was like deja vu. It was almost like a flashback to like, you know, me being in high school or something living (laughs) at my parents' house. You know, my mom, she, even though I'm 41, she still treats me, you know, like I'm in high school or something. And so she's like, She's like, "Well, are you gonna sleep all day?" And I, I'm like, what? "What? What? What's going on? Like, it's it's like seven o'clock in the morning, you know?" Right. And she's in there slaving away in the kitchen, <laughs> yes. and she's she's in there, you know, eggs and sausage and bacon and biscuits and gravy and, you know, is, is there anything else you want? And I'm like, "No, no, like I'm I'm good." Right. But a uh, big glass of sweet tea, sat down there and and had breakfast, you know, with my parents, and that's cool. Uh, I left out of there. I met with one of my pro staff guys. He lives in northern Kentucky, and then uh, I picked up my antelope in northern Kentucky. I saw as saw well. that man. How uh, cool was
2: how cool was that to pick that thing up? For so we'll
0: back man, up. Man, we'll I've back been up. wanting to get my hands back on that guy for a long time.
2: I bet, man. I was just gonna say that we'll back up for one second, just for the, for the folks out there that don't know, the you art know, that maybe uh-huh. started listening, like you know, recently or something like that. John went to Montana on a speed goat hunt with a bow. And like at the very end of the hunt, keep me, keep me honest here. It's like, I think I'm pretty sure it was like the last day of the hunt. You actually killed this goat. And it was like, you couldn't have pushed it much further to the, to the breaking point of like, okay, I'm going to leave and eat
0: my tag. So that was in what, 2017, right? It was, well, it was technically an overtime. Uh, It was, it was going to be a four day hunt and uh, it was really late. You know, obviously we got back uh, after that fourth day. So we decided we were going to go ahead and just sleep that night in Montana, and then wake up at like five a.m. and go ahead and get a early fresh start, you know, and drive back to Iowa. Um, we got up and I'm and I'm just I had this overwhelming sense I'm like I, I just really can't believe I'm going to leave Montana and you know eat this tag, after coming so so close, you know, uh, on a couple goats, but. Uh, I told myself, I said, okay, if I don't have an arrow in a goat by 8 a.m., that's it. I'm calling it. Um, So I went back to this public land spot and actually put an arrow in this. It it was my last arrow um, Mm -hmm. that I had with me, not in my quiver. It's the last arrow I had in my possession. (laughs) Um, And I put an arrow in this goat at 7.37 a.m. at 23 minutes left. Yeah. and, uh, so anyways, it was, uh, it was, it was a public land hunt, uh, there in Montana. Um, 72 yard shot. Um, and he barely, barely, barely broke boot and crack it on his score. So and that I looked, dropped that him off too, at man. the taxidermist in the spring of 18. When I went down there to Turkey hunt, that's when I took him down there and dropped him off and, right. uh, been waiting for him to get done and. Uh, I knew I had a, I knew I was going to be heading to Kentucky at some point this spring, you know, probably to chase turkeys, but I didn't know it was going to be quite a couple weeks as early as going down there with Tevis and those guys. So anyways, I was able to pick him up and, and he's hanging on the wall now. Um, so I got home last night, like 1230. And then of course I stayed up until I got all these pictures edited, uh, for Tevis and Whitetail Heaven. Right. Got those all uploaded in a Dropbox. Got up this morning and started on editing some video footage, um, for another client that I'm working with, um, had to go run some errands today, went and sat in a turkey blind this afternoon and, and, and almost got it, almost got it done tonight. It came really, really close.
2: Nice, man. And so dude, you've been, you got a lot of turkeys under your belt right now, as far as like for, for most everyone else, you know what I mean? Like I'm, still waiting, for sure, the se- I'm sure. still waiting for the season to come in. Like that's
0: yeah, I know. Well, it's um, one of Tevis's boys. He uh, he went. I, I I actually took him hunting my last day that I was that I was in Kentucky, and I didn't want to booger up anybody on their last day of their contest for mm-hmm. their money competition. Right. You know, because you know what's going to happen. So if somebody was to miss a bird or the bird gets hung up and doesn't come in, they're going to be like, oh, damn cameraman must have been moving or something, you know? Right, right. So I didn't want to mess with anybody's crap. Um, so Tevis is like, uh, I said, hey, but I do want to go out and just get some turkey footage, you know? So uh, he said, hey, you know, take, uh, grab one of my boys. So I took one of his sons and these kids are, they're something else, man. <laughs> um, they live for hunting, you know? And yep. So I took one of, the, one of his boys out, and we were on our way back to the lodge and I looked at him and I said, Micah, and I th- I think Micah's like eight. Right. I think he's eight. <laughs> I said, Micah, is there such thing as being burnt out on turkey hunting and I haven't even hunted myself yet? You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm about sick of turkeys already. <laughs> um and I haven't even haven't even bought a tag for myself yet. But um, so, anyways. But uh, I lo- I love turkey hunting. I don't I don't get into turkey hunting as much as some people. I mean, it's a lot of fun, and I'm always going to participate, and I'm always going to do it. But you know, I know guys that take like three weeks vacation just yeah. to turkey hunt.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. I can't get into it like that. I mean, for one, I'm just not that great at it, and I, I kind of use it. Like, I like to turkey hunt. It, for me, and we've talked about this before, for me, it's more about the winter and the, and the shit weather's over. So I'm able to actually get outside and kind of enjoy being outside again because the weather's kind of getting nice. And and then I honestly, you know, in, in PA, at the beginning of turkey season, I forget, I think it's at least maybe the first two weeks. I'd have to look at the book to remember. This is how bad it is. I usually never hunt much beyond, like, the first, like, two weeks of the season for the most part. But uh, you can only hunt till noon. You know, for like the at least the first weekend, maybe the first two. Um, and so, you know, you get up at the crack of dawn and you, you know, hunt till noon and then your day is kind of kind of shot or whatever because uh, you're beat. So what I usually will do is I'll go out and I'll hunt, you know, for however many hours. and Maybe I see a bird, maybe I don't. And then once I kind of get, you know, bored or if there's nothing working or I'm not getting any, not getting any action, then I'll just kind of get up and start scouting for deer season you know what I mean? And kind of spend the rest of my day doing that. And that's actually what my plan is this year is I found a piece of public that's near me. And I think I, yeah, I text you a picture of the rub that I found um, in this, in this area. I found some really good sign on a piece of public ground that I'm pretty excited about. And the NWTF actually, you know, sponsors this piece of ground. So they actually have some, you know, food plots in there and it's pretty good habitat for Turkey and stuff like that. I saw some Turkey sign while I was there. So I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to hunt this spot for turkey season and see what happens. Um, and then if nothing happens, then I, I know that I wanted to spend a little bit more time there scouting um, just to kind of maybe actually pick out a couple of trees. Because the last time I went in, I basically saw some good deer sign and know what general areas I'd like to be in. But now I kind of want to go back and maybe pinpoint a tree or two that I'd like to get into and, and mark those. That way I know where I'm headed, you know, whenever the season rolls around. Because I'm not familiar with this piece at all. It was the first time I'd stepped foot on it. So yeah, I studied it from aerial you know, from aerials and stuff like that. But I just put one day of, of walking around. So I'd like to mark some spots that I want to, that I want to get into, but that's really, that's really my Turkey hunting for the most part. I mean, that's I like doing it, but you'll never mistake me for a guy who's really good at Turkey hunting. We'll put it that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm a, a good Turkey hunter myself. Um, Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I've got a couple of uh, I got a couple of calls, a uh, couple of series of yelps and some fly down cackles that I think are decent, and they've uh, they've worked for me in the past. So I just keep I just keep running the same calls. I don't always know when. What's the right call to make at the right time, like when I should be clucking and when I should be purring all the time or whatever? I just I kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know if the times that it doesn't work, it's not supposed to. And I don't know if the times it works, if anything would have worked. You know what I mean? So um, I, I I do know some really good turkey hunters um and a lot of them to be honest a lot of them are a lot of southern guys you know mississippi georgia yep. alabama you know guys like that Yep. um seems like turkeys and maybe the thing is is because their deer aren't that big right. um and turkey is their big animal you know right
2: right yeah it, there might be there might be some something to that i'm not sure why turkey hunting so much i shouldn't say so. I, I don't know definitively but if i feel like it seems know,
0: like it's bigger down south.
2: Yeah, I noticed the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, that's like when you think about, like, the dudes who are in these turkey calling competitions and stuff like that. Like, you never get a guy, like, from New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in a turkey calling competition, it's always like, like you said, a like, guy from
0: Missouri, Are you Kentucky. saying that you've seen the list of um, the top ten in turkey calling competitions, and are you stereotyping their hometown?
2: Yeah, I might be stereotyping. Like Booker Bottom, Georgia. Like Booker <laughs> Bottom, Georgia. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like that's where that's where they're from. You know, it's like if you're from a place, first place. Yeah. Jimmy Paul Ray. Yeah. Guy with three first names.
0: That he, guy wins. He had three first names. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you automatically win. Like you're you're naturally a good turkey caller if you have three first names.
0: Done. Hey, I'm gonna throw out a disclaimer. I'm from Kentucky, so I can make fun of rednecks. It's it's okay,
2: and I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I'm allowed to too. In Pennsylvania, yeah, which might even be more redneck than anywhere.
0: You guys are just white trash. What are you talking about, (laughs) dude? You're not hillbillies. You're just white trash. We
2: we tried to we tried to class ourselves up a little bit by calling ourselves hillbillies. You know what I mean? That's how how bad it is. Don't try to church it up there, Clint. Trying to church that shit up a little bit, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so. uh, I'll be going out like seasonal open here in in uh, I think it's like two weeks from the moment that we're recording this. Oh, actually no, it's next week. It's a it's a week from it'll be a week from Saturday. So
0: I'm gonna go out on the piece. How bad does that suck? Having to come out of the woods at noon, dude.
2: It's it's awful.
0: Well, because so this was the
2: deal last. Like it's never. Let me put it this way. It's always slightly bothered me. Right. Even whenever I was a kid growing up, dad and I would go turkey hunting. It just kind of bothered me because I was like, you know, I like to hunt. And when I was a kid growing up, you know, it's like I worked, you know, odd jobs during the week after school and stuff like that. And So the only day I really had to hunt was Saturday And during, you know, spring turkey. It's like I would get to hunt for a handful of hours and that was it that week, you know. Um, and then it didn't bother me so much for like a while, like when I got a little older, only because it was like a lot of times by like noon, I was like, man, I got like five things I need to get done today. You know what I mean? Like I got to get out of the woods. Um, Because as you and I talked about before, it's like I just push all my chips to the middle for deer season, right? That's when I spend my time. But now, <clears throat> now that I'm at a place, I guess, and my daughter's a little bit older, and it's like a, you know, I can spend a little bit more time away and stuff like that. It's it bothers me again, and particularly because you know, I had my daughter out two years ago. She and I went out, and I actually had a bird working for her, and then a rainstorm blew in and blew the bird out. And then you know, we took cover, and then she didn't want to go back out the second half of the day, which was. Not the second half of the day, but the second half of the morning, which was fine. So I ended up going back out, found that bird, basically semi-stalked him around the entire property, like kind of kept my distance, but kept calling so I could kind of hear where he was moving, so I could try to like get in front of him. And uh and I ended up catching back up to that bird at like so I don't know, I think the rainstorm blew in at let's say like 7 30, 8 o'clock, and I got back out around nine. And then I caught back up to that bird at like 11.30. 30. And was working him, and he was coming, and he was coming, and he and then he got hung up like right before noon, and then it was noon, and I couldn't make another move on him, and but that was like one of the coolest turkey hunts I'd ever had, and it was cut short because I had to stop hunting at noon, and I don't really know what the reason, though, what the rationale behind it is. I'm sure there's some type of, you know, in in the bylaws somewhere mentions why you can't hunt beyond noon, but I'm not I'm not clear on what it is, so. But yeah, so long yeah. way to say yes, it sucks, but that brings up another topic, man. Like, so I don't know how much how aware you might be of this, but um, they're changing some of the some of the deer hunting or hunting in general, I guess, you could say, in Pennsylvania this year. So historically, and people are up up in arms about this, which I don't quite understand why. But so rifle season for deer hunting or gun season comes in always historically, I shouldn't say historically, I think it's since like the mid seventies or something like that. It comes in on the first Monday. I'm sorry. The yes, the first Monday after Thanksgiving. Always. That Monday, right? Since like the mid seventies. And now they've decided they've actually passed the law. Now I don't know why it was on a Monday. Every other season that we have comes in on a Saturday, right? Um and so now they've passed the law or changed the law to where now that first day of gun season is going to come on come in on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which I was like, Hey, that's great. You know, people, if they don't, if, you know, if they don't have Monday off, that'll give them a chance to go out and, and hunt, you know, or, you know, if they, you know, don't have the vacation time to take, they don't have to spend a day of vacation time to hunt, you know, they can hunt Saturday or, or they can still take Monday off hunt Saturday and Monday, you know, whatever the case is. Um, But then I saw a lot of folks like upset about it on Facebook and I wasn't, or on Instagram and Facebook, you know, on social media. And I wasn't quite sure, what the uproar about it was. And people were talking about like, it's hunting heritage and like, you know, it's something about family. And I wasn't quite sure where everyone was going with it. Cause I was like, it's an extra day to hunt. If you don't want to hunt Saturday because it's changes the tradition of your hunting camp, then don't hunt Saturday. And then just hunt Monday. You know what I mean? Like everyone can choose how they would like to use it, but it just seemed like everyone was in a, in, a, in an uproar over it, over, over nothing in my opinion. So that's changed. And then Sunday hunting is actually going to have going to go up for a vote here at some point. I don't know exactly when. And I'm crossing fingers, feet, hands, arms, everything. It feels like we actually have some momentum that it may occur. So we may get out of the stone ages with that, which is pretty cool. Thoughts?
0: Huh. Interesting.
2: Yeah. So. It's, I don't know that Sunday hunting, I don't think that they'll roll it in full on like where it's like every Sunday you can hunt. I think they're probably going to do tapered back versions of like, maybe you get, you know, two Sundays, you know, in October and two Sundays in November to hunt archery, or maybe you get one Sunday each month to hunt archery and then maybe get one of the Sundays during rifle season. Like, I don't know yet, you know, what it'll end up being, but they'll probably do some type of scaled back version just to make sure that it doesn't basically to prove to everybody who thinks it's going to change the world that it isn't in fact going to really change anything.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so, well, I, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems like you're all saying antler restriction. Like that's definitely one good thing that they did. mm -hmm. That seems like it's really working.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, it's definitely made, it's definitely made a difference. And that was the thing. Like there's, and there's still people that oppose it, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'll just say I'm a fan of it. I've been a fan of it since, you know, since it begun basically. Um, you know, I don't see a downside to it necessarily. Now I know people will argue it's like, Hey, you know, you might be restricting, you know, the opportunity of a, of a guy who, or girl who maybe only gets out like a handful of times a year, you know, and maybe they see a a fork horn and that's the only deer they're going to see in those two days. And they're not going to get to shoot a deer. Right. And I I totally, I totally understand that. But shoot, shoot does. Right. And that would be my, my response is like, you know, shoot does. No, I understand like maybe they have a limited time to get out and maybe they wouldn't be able to get out during doe season because during gun season, I think, and this is how bad it is. Like I've not hunted gun season in a while. So it it used to be, you couldn't hunt does until the second week of gun season. Uh So that person might have to, you know, take a day off or hunt a Saturday or whatever the, or whatever the case is. Um, but i so I understand that argument, but the other thing is too, is that you can't make poor decisions just to appease the few, right? The larger, I think, you know, benefit is, is that if people don't see good deer, so I'll put it this way. I'm going to put it in really harsh terms. Cause I think this is the only way that it makes sense. The person who goes out and hunts like two days a year, isn't going to stand up on his soapbox and, and, and fight for hunting or Second Amendment rights or any of these things, right? So appeasing that person while, yes, we would like to keep them in hunting because we could use all the numbers we get, I'm not interested about keeping that person happy necessarily. What I'm more interested in is, is the hunters that are going to remain in hunting and that I would like to remain in hunting and that may only remain in hunting if they have opportunities at quality, at what they consider to be quality animals. Right Because those are the ones who are actually going to put money into the system and actually have a voice and oppose those who try to you know remove some of the privileges that we have and, and and things like that so I think I don't think there's any perfect solution. I think we just have to balance it the right way and so when I look at that that's why I look at antler point restriction and say, hey, I've seen better deer now that I'm older than I did ever whenever I was growing up as a kid, which I think does a lot to keep hunters in the woods and w- wanting to go back and try to you know get that more mature deer and keeps them interested and keeps you know allows them to increase the the challenge of their opportunity um, you know someone could argue the opposite side of that I'm sure but that's kind of how I see it I'm curious what you think
0: yeah 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 no I mean I I agree and, and uh, you know I always to kind of go back it's whenever somebody says man I only have three days to hunt and uh having these antler restrictions you know I mean I'm a meat hunter I'm like, well, why didn't you shoot a doe? Yeah. What? Well, you know what I mean. Everybody claims I'm a meat hunter, but they passed twenty two does. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, so I don't know. It's it's that age old debate. You're never gonna, you're never gonna appease everybody, but at the same time, don't change. Don't make a stupid rule, to set to like make seven people happy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But.
2: You know, I, I think I mentioned this on one of the other an, an upfront of a podcast that that I put out not too long ago. But Galen Swigart, um, he lives out here on well eastern and northern part of PA. He uh, he does a lot with the with BHA, the Pennsylvania chapter here, and he's actually doing a documentary about Sunday hunting right now. That he's filming it, that. He interviewed he came to my house and interviewed me for part of that. Bo Martonic I know is part of that as well, or got interviewed for it. So. I think he's going to be putting it out this summer if I'm not mistaken, which would be kind of cool. I think he's trying to kind of match it up to when, you know, when they're probably going to be talking about it in terms of like the the legal terms and whether or not it's going to pass the sniff test to to possibly be implemented or not. But uh, I don't know that anybody's anticipating anything's going to happen for this season. I think, you know, ideally I think they would pass it early enough that they could do a trial run this year and maybe have a handful of Sundays that folks could hunt just to prove to the, you know, to the non-consumptive outdoor users that we're not going to change the way they use the outdoors um, if yeah. we're allowed to hunt on Saturday. Because that's part of the argument, too. There's a lot of really poor arguments out there that I don't think are f- well thought through um, in opposition. But, um, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. And I think, you know, like I'd mentioned whenever, you know, we were doing that interview is is that, we're in a position that this is a privilege that we have and not a right. So we still have to kind of earn it, even though we might be footing the bill for the lion's share of the, the, you know, the payment that the agencies get to manage these, these things. Right. But at the same time, you know, I think we have to put our best foot forward to to prove it, that it's not going to change people's um, usability of the land outside of hunting, you know, during those times of the year. And, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's just be good stewards and do the right thing and, and, and prove that it's not going to, you know, I don't mind proving it cause I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think it's going to change the, the hiker or the bird watchers opportunities at all. So I'm fine with a rollout plan to, to prove it, so to speak. But so that's, that's what's going on in, in the good old Keystone state, man. And that actually brings me to another question. I, I want to, wanted to ask you, I had this conversation with, uh, my buddy, Wilson, Wilson McSwain. And, uh, and I actually had this conversation a little bit with Cody DeQuisto, oddly enough. Um, we started talking about culture and hunting a little bit and talking about the idea that, you know, hunting recruitment is such a hot topic and I, and you'll, you'll kind of know where I'm going with this. Cause you and I, the one podcast we did with Cody, we did start talking about like extreme sports and, and those types of things and how those activities in our youth kind of influence the way we hunt and so forth. But He and I had a conversation, you know, on the phone, not during a podcast, but, and and it went a little further than that to where it's, we started talking about just the idea of, you know, with hunter recruitment and stuff like that. Like, you know, a lot of hunters nowadays aren't necessarily coming from rural areas, right? It's, and so, you know, I think I used me as an example when Cody and I were talking, it's like for me growing up, you know, I was a, a punk rocker, skateboarder, snowboarder, right? Real into music and stuff like that. And I still hunted. But, you know, I kind of wondered after we had that conversation on the podcast, like, would I had any, like, even a deeper connection to hunting whenever I was growing up and held on to it even more closely as I got older, right? If there were folks in the hunting industry or in the outdoor world that I could have related to more, right? And, And the point that Cody and I were talking about and he was making was that, you know, as much respect as we might have for guys that, uh, that are killers, you know, and that are great hunters like the, the Drury's and the, you know, the, you know, the, I'm blanking now, you know, on guys' names, but the Adam Hayes of the world and the Don Higgins of the world and stuff like that, right? These guys are great hunters, right? But to like the 22-year-old kid living in the suburb of Cincinnati, you know what I mean, or anywhere Pennsylvania, any kind of semi-metro area, like they have a vastly different, upbringing and outlook on like life in general and their lifestyle right and so do they really do they really have a person you know because people and people can argue with me if they like to but this is just kind of like a a sociological fact like people like to be around people and relate to people that look like them sound like them act like them and live like them that's why you can look at your five closest friends and you're all pretty pretty similar you know what I mean there's a reason for that it's not by coincidence and yeah, I feel like hunting to a degree is missing. Except out. you and I. Except you and You're I. You're just weird. Yeah, I'm white trash from Pennsylvania. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we started kind of talking about that, and it's like in, in I think, in the, and then I'll I'll open the floor to you to kind of you know mm-hmm. kind of respond. But I'll, I'll make this last point, point. And, and the one thing that I had mentioned was is like you know we talk about you know during that podcast we were talking about skateboard culture, and this is something I brought up with Wilson as well. And you know, or take any subculture or counterculture, right? As like, because if you look at the numbers, hunting really is a counterculture, right? We're oh, a mi- sure. we're a minority, right? Like you can't get much more minority than like four to five percent of the total population, right? Um, so in doing in thinking of it in that frame, you know, uh, kind of f- framework, when you look at a subculture or a counterculture like a skateboarding or like a music movement or you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And for me, the two closest from growing up are probably like skateboarding and punk rock. The reason they were able to kind of really withstand the commercialization of their subculture, right? And then when it became not as commercially viable anymore, it like sunk back into them still retaining their their culture was because the culture was always kind of created by the people who were on the come up, not from the people who had already achieved, Right? The culture was like this living, breathing thing that was always evolving over time. But hunting is the exact opposite of that, where it spends its time, its marketing dollars even, pushing their agenda from the top down, saying, here are the pinnacles of this culture. You should aspire to be like them, regardless of whether or not they have anything in common with you. Right? As opposed to letting the underground, if you will, right, of hunting be the kind of catalyst for how hunting is going to evolve, shape itself and make itself accessible to those who might not traditionally look like, feel like, sound like a hunter. Right. So those were just kind of like a couple of the conversations I have. I was just curious what your, what your thoughts were on that.
0: Um, I was actually making a couple of notes here. Look at that, Um, John going to school. Love it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's uh John's got a million things going on in his life right now. And if he doesn't write stuff down, he just completely forgets it. <laughs> underpants. Um, That's the first thing on your checklist yep. every so, morning. Okay. So in response to that, and, and this is, this is the world that you and I live in with, mm-hmm. with marketing. Yep. Um, a guy like Cameron Haynes, he's the Trojan horse. Yep. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, he already hits a mass audience. So it's just smart marketing to, Mm -hmm. you know, to appear, you know, to have a guy like that, um, because he's acceptable. He's acceptable in the hunting, you know, he's accepted in the hunting community, in the running community, in the fitness community and Joe Rogan, the rock, you know, Mm -hmm. those are all people that run in his circle. So that's, you know, that, that's obviously a, a technique. It's proven. It's it, it's worked. You know, that's how Coca-Cola did it. So, you know, that's how we're going to keep doing it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But other ca- case studies along that same lines, uh, Duck Dynasty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, here I am hunting deer and turkey, and my parents' friends, I would bump into them, and they're like, so you still shooting those defenseless animals? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? You know? Then the show Duck Dynasty gets popular.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Within a year, they're wearing camouflage. They're all drinking out of Yeti tumblers, and they're asking me, what season is it right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Did you did you get one? All right. Well, hey, I'd love to see pictures of it. You know what? They say those back straps are pretty good. You know, if you ever fire up the grill, I'd... I'd like to come over and try that sometime, but it took Duck Dynasty to bridge the gap. You know, it took that mass yep. acceptance audience, um, and, and these are people that that were going out and buying Yetis all of a sudden, and and acting almost acting like they were accepting hunting, but they did, they don't even know what end of a shotgun you look down and which 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 end goes you know up against your shoulder, right. Um, people like Chris Pratt are mainstream that are very open hunters and that helps bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. But I think there's always going to be from, from like Hollywood. There's always going to be that, Oh, well people who hunt animals, there's that stigma that we also, uh, eat possums on the side of the road. We also we all, uh, make our own moonshine. Mm-hmm. um, as much as people say, oh, people don't think that that's true. That they're lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like their their first reaction from from people who are not exposed to hunting is, man, that's some hillbilly stuff. You yeah. know, that's the stuff that goes on in the Appalachia yeah. region or whatever. You know, um, it's getting better. Mainstream, it's it's getting better. Um more and more people are getting involved in hunting, and there 's a lot of little things they 're all little you know if it 's a big st- set of steps you 've got cinematic footage that 's helping make um make hunting more acceptable oh that 's neat that was cool that was really pretty you know right um conservation groups are bridging the gap um you know these nwtf banquets and and qdma banquets and chapters they're they're spreading the spreading the word and um i know that we are still losing a lot of hunters every year but yeah so that's, i think we're gaining a lot of acceptance yeah, along so along the way no too.
2: i I, I was gonna say i 100 percent agree with you and i think you made a a couple of really good points with like campaigns and, and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think for me, I look at it almost in twofold. The one way that you're kind of expressing it in the sense that there's a two pronged attack, right. There's the acceptance component of it. Right. Which I think like, I mm-hmm. agree with you. It shows like duck dynasty as much as it's, um, you know, dramatized a little bit or whatever. Maybe they don't hundred percent represent, you know, hunters as a whole. They are a, in a good place to kind of make things okay for for hunting at large right like get that sure sure joe rogan too cam haynes is one though that i look at and i say like let me finish this part of it so i think there's that part of it then i then i think there's the other part of it that is more the recruitment aspect of it right because you know the studies that they've done if you look at uh just deer hunting is the one that i know off the top of my head but like 80% of the country basically says, like, it's okay to deer hunt. We're cool with it so long as you're doing it for food, right? So, like, there's pretty high level of acceptance, like, from the jump as long as, like, the person who they're talking to is doing it for the right reasons, right, to a degree. When I look at it from a recruitment standpoint, like, I don't know that Duck Dynasty really helps recruitment per se. I think a guy like Cam Haynes does, and this is the reason why, is because he's attached to a subculture. He's attached to an additional counterculture. He's attached to that running, endurance culture, right? And so, sure. like that is to me like the part of it that is missing for for most of the hunting upper echelon, right? It's like it's it's just hunting, right? And there's and there's nothing else, right? Because, you know, I look at as for me as as an example, it's like hunting is like is really really important to me, and obviously super passionate about it, but it's still just like a piece of who I am, you know what I mean? Like there's this the hunter piece, which kind of overwhelms everything. Right. But there's also the musician. There's also the guy who still likes to bust out the skateboard once in a while in his driveway at 41 years old and hurt himself, you know? So there's, there's you know, the guy, the guy who's into MMA and stuff like that. And that's the part that I think that we're missing the opportunity is that like it, we, we are able to be, you know, layered individuals as hunters. We don't have to just be, a hunter and when we look at some yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. when we yeah. look at some of the beacons that we have that we always see is like the people pressed out in front of people is like this is what hunting is this is what hunting is this is what hunting is it's a lot of times not the cameron Haynes' and guys like that necessarily that are that are you know multifaceted you know what i mean that appeal to a different audience right it's they appeal to one. Now, I think they're making some strides, right? Because there's some MMA guys that hunt. You know, I know Chad Mendez is a big hunter, right? So that kind of opens up some pathways into like the MMA folks, you know. But, you know, MMA still is like a, I don't, know, I don't know how big that counterculture is, but it's like, you know, I don't know how urban that is either. Because for hunting recruitment, it's like we have to figure out ways to bring people from the suburbs and from the urban areas because that's where people are at. You know what I mean? Like that's where sure. we're going to recruit from. And so we have to figure out how do we make this accessible, you know, and look appealing to them because they don't feel like an outsider,
0: you know? Yeah. Well, and I think if somebody living in the country, they probably have already been exposed to hunting. Yep. They have opportunities to hunt and it's just simply, it's their choice at that point. You yep. know what I mean? If it's something they want to do or not. And I 100% agree. I mean, in the urban situations, those people, the hardest thing about hunting is a place to go do it, right? Mm-hmm. So if they grew up in a subdivision and they don't have any place to go, that's that's getting harder and harder, you know. Yeah. Um, now, and we and you and I, we've had podcasts before where we've talked about leases and the pros and the cons and that yep. kind of stuff and uh, procurement of of leases and how to keep them and stuff. But it's I tell you, man, it's 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 an interesting thing, and, and like you were saying, yeah, hunting, when I first started hunting, I was snowboarding still, mm-hmm. I was driving a stock car still, and I was still a cop, and I was going to the gym, and so, yeah, hunting was just something else that I did. Mm-hmm. It was just another hobby, um, but the more I did it, the more it consumed me, and then I sold my snowboards. Yep. And then I sold my race cars and then I quit being a cop because I wanted to work in the outdoor industry full time. Um, So that was my choice via opportunity as well. But then it became, okay, I am a hunter and whether it be photography or marketing or hobbies, Pretty much everything I do now revolves around hunting in some way, shape, or form, you know? Yep. And I think you're going to have that. Uh, I don't think you have to have that to be extremely passionate about the sport or, you know, about conservation. Um, mm-hmm. I think your level of, you know, as, as, and I know you agree, uh, a person's level of involvement um, will be dictated by how much they just really want to do it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, you look at a guy like like our buddy who we did the, the first podcast that we started kind of talking about this idea of like how different things influence hunting and stuff like that is it's Cody. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think anyone would question his passion for hunting whitetails. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. if you knew him more than just, you know, listening to him on podcast or whatever, you would realize that like there's a very close second in his world and that is lifting, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and bodybuilding, you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, and so even though he's a straight killer, you know what I mean? And like, you would be hard pressed to find a dude who's more ate up with white tails than him. Yeah. Like there's this other part of him that is very important to him still. Also, you know what I mean? And I think, and that's yeah. the part that I'm looking at is that, you know, you know, people who are as ate up with it as like, you know, you or I, or the people that are listening to the show and stuff like that not everyone that is going to hunt and contribute to our community is going to be as in it as we are. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, and, right, I, right. and and what I'm more looking for is how do we create representatives of our community that are also have their hands in other communities that we can pull people from, I think is the best way I could phrase it. And I, and I yeah, love,
0: almost, um, uh... It's almost kind of networking.
2: Yeah. And that's um, kind of, that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of like where I've been. Cause I was just like, when you mentioned the Cam Haynes like example, like I immediately was like, that's the perfect example because he's a celebrity. Yes. But like even if he weren't necessarily a celebrity, right. And say maybe, say he was a, you know, I don't know. Say he was like a, a, a regional, like a well known regional like hunter, right. That like people like in his area know him. Right. And he was big into uh-huh. like endurance training and he was known well in that circle as well. Like he would have a lot of influence in that region, being able to influence people to one, at least be okay with hunting and two maybe try it that that are runners. Yeah, Cause he yeah. can say, Hey, you know, I use this as like a, a way to remain healthy and give me the energy I need to do these en- endurance initiatives and stuff like that. Right. It's just icing on the cake that he, that he's as popular as he is, but you know, just imagine if we did that, but there was a, there actually is a well known skateboarder. He's a legend, actually. I think his last name is I think his name's Greg Gregory Raleigh. Like he was out probably around the time you and I were like graduating from high school, is when he came over from the UK. And he is a diehard gun nut and and like backcountry hunter and owns like three skateboard companies and is like a legend in skateboarding. And so a guy like that, like being able to leverage in like a space like skateboarding would be Incredible, because I know there are people there that would be into hunting and that kind of extreme, you know, experience. They just need someone that looks like them to say, "Hey, dude, it's cool. It's okay to try it." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I'll get off my soapbox for for now. It's uh, John's probably got some other state he's going to to do something that I have no clue that he's going to go do, and then we'll talk about it the next time we talk. but before we take off man is there any anything you got going on or coming up that you want to give anyone a heads up about anything cool coming out
0: oh let's see oh um so i'm going to be heading to indiana and doing some photo film work um but then after that uh easter sunday i'm driving through the night out to nebraska uh, with some buddies, uh, with, uh, Randy Sanders from Beetlejuice Skull Works. You, you met him, uh, at, the, at yeah. the Iowa show. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going out to Nebraska turkey hunting with him and a couple of his buddies, and I will be doing a Instagram, uh, takeover, uh, for Chama Chairs. So oh, nice. be sure to check out, tune in to uh, Chama Chairs, um, while I do that takeover thing. Um. Nice. Should be fun. Hopefully. Hopefully it's fun. Hopefully I don't screw it up and <laughs> hopefully uh, cool things are happening and I can keep the engagement going and keep a good story going there. So right. uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, when I get done with that, I'm going back to Whitetail Heaven Outfitters uh, for their second Kirk turkey competition. This time, the uh, first place prize is $50,000. Jeez. Man. Yeah. That's serious true. we're talking serious cash money yeah dude. Um, one could buy a lot of turkey calls with that you could buy you you buy a lot of diaphragm calls yeah, right you get the old raspy hen few raspy hens you get with that. get yourself um, a couple raspy hens right probably, yeah. could,
2: could probably get down to the corner uh, and buy yourself a bunch of raspy hens down there too
0: you could just buy just buy hens the real <laughs> yeah. thing um yeah. and then after that uh I don't come home i then go to uh, that property in Northern Kentucky in Bracken County, where with your where, I hunt, yeah. um, where I hunt, where I hunt every year for for spring spring birds in Kentucky, and do a little deer hunting as well. So, I get to go hang out with my good buddy, Mister Parker, um, just the coolest the coolest old timer in the world, and and he's probably in better shape than I am. But uh, <laughs> so I'll go hang out yeah. with him for a few days. You keep eating, and, his, tor- you keep eating um, his tornadoes; he'll be in better shape than you. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, I swear every time, like when I'm, when I'm out of town, I eat, I eat clean, but I also, when I'm driving from point A to point B, I hate to like stop at a restaurant, yeah. you know, it, GPS said your arrival time was 8 PM and then you get back in your car and now it's, you know, 9 30 PM because you stopped at a restaurant and ate for an hour, hour and a half. So I literally, man, I'm a gas station guy where I, I only stop to use the restroom and eat at one stop. I'm stopping one place. And if I get lucky and it's like a gas station slash subway, it's better. But if it's just like a speedway,
1: I'm
0: tornadoes. getting 87 octane and tornadoes.
2: <laughs> nice. All right, man. Well, to, to, the sounds of it is, is that you and I probably aren't going to get to talk and catch up again for like another month.
0: So, uh, no, like, like, and that's all right. Two and a half, three weeks. Two and a half, three weeks. All right. Two and a half, three weeks. I'll be, I'll be back, back home, and I can, I can do more. Or we can always do them on the road. You know what I mean? Like doesn't matter to me.
2: We should do that. We should do a, uh, an Instagram live one.
0: Straight. Yeah. Straight yeah. live. Yeah, that'd be fun.
2: Do one of those. Maybe we'll have to work, work that. Out. I got to get my technology squared away because our technology at the beginning of this, before we got started recording, was a unmitigated disaster. But.
0: We pulled her and, off. And when I'm on the road, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm going to – I'll have better cell service <laughs> yeah. than in Iowa. No so. doubt.
2: No doubt. Copy that. Check, Charlie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I'm going to let you get going, dude. And uh, okay. I will talk to you soon. You get after some birds. I'm going to do the same. Then hopefully when we get back together, we'll have a couple birds
0: down. There, I like it. Sounds good, man. All right, brother. All right, folks, it is a wrap
2: for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're there as well. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And if you uh, haven't yet, please remember to head over to the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website, the Pennsylvania chapter page, and head, head to the RSVP page for the Muster in the Mountains gathering on June 22nd and 23rd. I will certainly be there with my family and hope to see you all there as well. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
1: I could show you through the door, I ain't welcome anymore coming, if it all, oh, it takes a special knowing the colorful a phone, damage tapes, broken letters, nationalize yourself in numbers, but I got it I, 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 oh, oh, oh,